0: All right. Thank you, Mr. Lloyd. Appreciate that so very much. And hey, if you're in Christ, you're on the winning side. Amen. That's great. Well, our text is John chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 7 in a sermon I've titled, Coming. Uh, sometimes there's things coming that you look forward to, and other times there are things coming you do not look forward to. I believe that this message will have both in them. But the world has the same way. Mexico's new socialist president, I mean, he's a socialist. We used to call it communist, but now they call it socialists. But their new president, Lopez uh, Obrador, announced that he's giving his interior ministry, uh, the interior minister of uh, ministry, a free reign on legalizing drugs in Mexico, even cocaine. So far, and that's true, but so far, 20 Hollywood stars, 30 politicians, and 50 mainstream media are saying they're going to move to Mexico regardless of who gets elected in 2020. Uh, So, just thought I'd point that out. That's not true. It just struck me funny. Obviously, it did not you. All right. Okay. Well, let's get on here with our text. John chapter 14, beginning with verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go you know, and the way you know. And Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Then he adds in verse 7, if ye had known me, ye should have also known my Father. And from henceforth, ye know him and have seen him. Remember John one eighteen, where he said, The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. We know God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, let's have a word of prayer, then we'll get started. Father, I pray now as we look into your word, Help us to make it clear and understandable, and I can't do that, Lord, but your Holy Spirit can, so I pray that He would just move freely in our midst, in Jesus Christ's name, amen. Verses one through three, and also verse six, have been used uh, by many preachers, especially myself, uh, to preach on heaven, as well as to preach on salvation, and it does rightly fit in with those passages to preach on that, there's nothing wrong with doing that. However, sometimes we lose the context of these verses by just focusing on heaven and focusing on, uh, on salvation, and we miss some other things that may be there That because it's uh, really a, a, a context in which it's written is the last days of Jesus Christ. They've just had the Last Supper. The soldiers are going to come and get him. So from chapter 13 through chapter 17, you're looking at the last 24 hours, less than 24 hours before the cross. So you think about that, and all that goes on, and what's said in there is of utmost utmost importance, and that's the perspective that these things are written from. And so I want you to see some aspects of coming. And I want you to see that from the context in which it appears. Now, first of all, we see the first one, and that is the coming hurt. The coming hurt. Verse 1, he said there, let not your heart be troubled. Now, have you ever had one of the kids or somebody else come up to you? Now, now before you get excited, let me explain. And you don't know you know what they're going to say, but you know already you're, you're, you've got their, your flags up. All right. Well, Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Then it gives us a good reason not to. If you believe in God, believe also in me. You can trust him fully, 100%. But in chapter 13 through chapter 17, as well as the other three Gospels, we read of events of these last hours before the cross. He tells of the coming crucifixion. He said his hour is come. These things are going to happen to him now. And and so it's about to hit and hit hard. It's a time of of giving himself for our sins. Peter, we always look at Peter and say, well, boy, he's who spoke up and said, Lord, I'll die for you. Actually, the Bible tells us that all the men joined in with him and said, yeah, that's right. We'll die for you. So they all said it wasn't just Peter. Peter is one, though, that made it first. And so Peter speaks up. He says it. And then the Lord tells him, well, before the night is over, you're going to deny me three times. Before that cock crows three times, you'll deny me three times. Or before he crows in the morning, and 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 he did. He denied him. And so, here we find that Peter let him down, and the other apostles did too. They were offended because of him. Have you ever let down family, or maybe you are playing a sport and you've let down the team? Maybe on the job, uh, something you did let the whole work down. And when you do that, boy, it makes you really feel so small. It just makes you feel like. You've got to reach up to touch the bottom. I mean, you've messed it up for everybody. And sometimes uh, everyone has experienced that in one way or another. And we just felt like, boy, we let them down. Well, they will see Jesus carried off and crucified. They can't stop it. They will scatter. Afterwards, they're huddled in an upper room. The windows are locked. The doors are locked. They're sitting there in fear when suddenly the Lord Jesus Christ appears in their midst. He didn't need the doors or the windows. He just appears. And so he's there and his first words are peace. The only true peace you can ever have is the peace that comes from the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, in John chapters 15 and 16, he lets them know some things that are going to come to them. And those things that will come to them will hurt. If they're going to stand with Jesus Christ, and they're going to withstand the attacks of the devil, these things will hurt. Now turn over to the next chapter into John chapter 15, and verses 18 through 21, you begin to see this. In verse 18, he starts out saying, If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own, but because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. Now let me stop there for a moment. Jesus chooses you out of the world, not to blend with the world. He chooses you out of the world. Therefore, the world hateth you. He says, if you're going to try to blend in Revelation chapter 3, you're lukewarm, and he spews you out of, your mouth, out of his mouth. As far as he's concerned, if you're going to try to blend the world and Christ, he says, you don't belong to me. Help their side. You're no to me. And so, he goes on to say, there he says, I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you. The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. Now, Jesus has not only worked on trying to prepare them for this coming cross. In which he told them he will arise three days later. But he's also, he's trying to prepare them for the life after he ascends into heaven. They've been with him for three and a half years. Now it's getting down to time to actually do it. In John chapter 16, verse 2, the next chapter after that, he says, They shall put you out of the synagogues, yea, the time cometh, that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. By the way, that was true in the life of the Apostle Paul. Before his salvation, he was putting people to death, and he was responsible for people being put to death and hauled off to the prison. And he did it thinking he was doing a service for God. Verse 33 says, Jesus says, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Now, you focus on the world, you're going to have the tribulation. You focus on that, you're going to really be down. But if you focus on him, that he's overcome. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. 1 John chapter 5. Trust in the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We know by 2 Timothy chapter 5. Three in verse 12, yea, and all those that live godly in Christ, Jesus shall suffer persecution. But sometimes the hurt happens even within your own household. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 through 39, Jesus said that he's a divider. Sometimes it'll be the son against the father, the the mother against the daughter, the mother-in-law against the daughter-in-law. So he says those things are going to happen. It's a truth. When you decide, I'm going to follow Jesus, and somebody else in the family doesn't like the way you're going, they don't like those uh, standards, they don't like those, and you have to decide, am I going to stand with Jesus Christ, or am I going to compromise? Now I've seen families, husbands and wives, that had some strong standards as younger people, then suddenly when the Children start getting to be teenagers, getting a little bit older, and all of a sudden they want to do these other things that they shouldn't do. And before too long, they're wanting to do this. You're saying, no, this is our standard. But some give in, and then all of a sudden they're down on what they've said they've always believed, what they've always preached, what they've always taught, what they've always tried to instill in their children. Now they're all of a sudden against it. Why? Because the children are more important in their gods uh, than God is to them. So God is not really first, although they say God first, family second, and and yourself last. No, that's not true. Because they, in actuality, in action, prove the opposite is true. Now, some people say, "Well, I got to compromise in order to keep peace in the family." That is always, always, always a false peace. Okay. The peace that the Lord gives is an eternal peace in spite of the circumstances. Now, saying God first, family second, uh, it, it sounds good, but it's only a cliche if you don't stick to it when you're going through the pressure cooker of time and problems with family. I've seen sometimes it's uh, with spouses. Daughter wants to dress in a way she shouldn't. The son wants to do things that he shouldn't do. And all of a sudden, one spouse is working against another spouse to try to allow them to do it. And sometimes they'll say, go ahead and do it. Don't tell your mother. Go ahead and do it. Don't tell your father. And you have just destroyed a foundation for that child to stand upon if they want to get their life right. Think it through. Think it through. Sometimes it's friends. Other times, it's church folks who turn on you, and you're hurt. And you wonder, why, Lord? Why why is this happening to me? But he told us it was coming. Even in his own personal life, Jesus was preaching, and they said, hey, your family's out there trying to get you to come out. He said, no, this is my mother and my brothers and everybody right here. The family's embarrassed because he was taking the stand that he was taking. They said, no. No. He said, no, this is what I'm supposed to do. And you decide whether Christ is first in your life or not. But understand, from the world side, it will hurt because they will attack. That's why we keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. He says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Before he ascended into heaven, he says, lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. So endure Hardness. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, we read this. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. Now, he may have gotten discouraged, but he didn't quit. He may have gotten discouraged, but he didn't quit giving his best. He says, I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. He did not compromise it. He kept it. And as a result, he says, Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. But I like this next part. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. You see what he's saying there? You're not willing. You're not willing to fight the good fight of faith. You're not willing to finish the course. You're not willing To keep the faith. You don't really love His appearing because you're going to be ashamed of His appearing if you're saved. Saved so as by fire. Not a good way to be saved, just so as by fire. and, And showing that it was really a lack of love in your life. So, He gives that to all those that love His appearing. So, there is a coming hurt. But praise God, there's victory that is ours through Jesus Christ any hurt that we have on this side of heaven, and it does hurt, but any hurt that we have on this side of heaven, the Bible says that the sufferings of this present time will not be, are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us, in Christ. Look, I don't know what that glory is up there, but If some of the sufferings that people have in this life will seem minute in comparison to the greatness of that glory, that glory must be something up there. And God doesn't lie, and he lets us know, just trust him because you will know beyond any shadow of the doubt when you get there that, hey, it was worth anything that we went through. It was worth it all not only do we have the coming hurt, we must move along here. Let's see also the coming home in verses 2 and 3. Again, he says, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Now, that's his promise, an assured promise from the lips of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That place that he's preparing is described in Matthew chapter 21, verses 10 through 27. Oh, what a beautiful place that is. It's a city that is four square descending out of heaven. We're told that it's 12,000 furlongs wide, 12,000 furlongs deep, 12,000 furlongs high. I, I, I was reading some guys that tried to change that and say, well, now it's a pyramid shape. You can't have a pyramid shape and be four square. Okay. <laughs> You, you can't do that, all right? But, but it made him feel good to say something different. Now, it's four square, but just think of that distance. 12,000 furlongs, that is about the distance from Denver, Colorado, to the Atlantic Ocean. It's that wide. Then it's that deep. And it's, then it's that high. It has 12 foundations. And it goes through and it lists all the 12 foundational stones they use. 12,000 furlongs, wide and deep, foundational stones. It it mentions the Chalcedony. It it mentions the Sardius and other ones. And and each one of those precious jewels and the names of the apostles are on those 12 foundational stones. And then the city has 12 gates. The gates have the name of the 12 tribes of Israel because the Lord is going to make them one fold, you see. The 12 gates of Israel, uh, the 12 tribes of Israel are named on those gates. And every gate is of one solid pearl. It's not many pearls, it's one solid pearl, each gate. The walls are of gold that are so pure, along with the streets, that it's as clear glass. The mansions, you know, the mansion was a room. And I'll say more about that, but many mansions, he's preparing a room for you. A mansion, a room for you. And Jesus Christ is the light of that city. The Bible says that it's seven times brighter than the sun. Didn't say hotter, brighter. Can you imagine all that translucent stone that we've just mentioned? And standing on the new earth and looking up and seeing that great big city descending from God out of heaven. Being able to tell somebody, I live in that one right up there, you know. But to see that all that spectacular light show, when that light shines through all of that stone. Boy, what must that be like? I can't fathom it. But I can tell you, I know that's my home. Because Jesus Christ is there preparing it. Now, a lot of times you'll hear me use marriage in telling about salvation. Because that's the kind of commitment we make when we come to Jesus Christ. But that's, this is what that's picturing. It's a picturing the uh, a, a man, he makes a, a decision to for, to marry this woman she accepts. And so they have, we call it engagement today, they called it the betrothal period. It was the per- betrothment. Now, somebody in our day breaks an engagement, it's broken. All the guy can do is hope he gets the ring back. But in a betrothal They had to go through an actual divorce Nearly every time it was the man or the woman's father That brought about the betrothal That brought about the divorce if they had a divorce That's even before they come together as husband and wife But here's the thing That would be set up The price was paid Then that that young man would go back to his father's house and he'd begin to build on that his father's house, that room. It was called a mansion. It would be their honeymoon suite, so to speak. And sometimes it might be a year. But then at the time he would come back, when he finished his job, he'd come back and he'd come up and he wouldn't go into her house. He'd stand outside the door and call her name. Come out. And she would come out and meet him. And she'd walk off with him to her new home. She was leaving the old one. But that didn't mean so much to her because she was looking forward to that new home. My friend, Jesus Christ is coming again. But we're going to meet him in the clouds. And he's going to say, come up hither, Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. And we're going to be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord if you are saved, that is. If you are in Christ, that is. Then you'll ever be with the Lord. And my friend, those left behind will be facing a seven-year tribulation like man has never had before. And as bad as the tribulation is, it's only the vestibule of hell. The thing about heaven is so great, we read in Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. The Lord can be trusted. Now, let me tell you, just like the person, if he, the man decided that he was going to break this, this betrothment, and so he would take back and say, no, I'm not going to do it. What he put down as a trust, he lost it all. Today, we use the word earnest. The earnest God gave for our salvation was his holy spirit that 's why if you're saved you've got the very spirit of God living within you. so if that holy Spirit living within you, for you to lose your salvation, if you are truly saved, for you to lose that salvation, god's got to lose his holy spirit he's not going to do it he's not going to do it, and you're in his hand now he may have to chasten, he may have to spank, he may have to flog with a whip. But he will chasten his own. But he will not cast you out. So if your faith is real, then you know that this is not a state of mind. It's not a fifth dimension, but rather this is a real, physical, eternal place in, in, in eternity. As 1 John chapter 3 verses 1 through 3 says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called The children are the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when we shall see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. See, a lot of people say, I got saved so I can go to heaven. They don't have the hope. You know why? They're not purifying themselves. They don't want purified. They just don't want to go to hell. They never really entered a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. They said words. They said a prayer that they thought were magic words. Hocus pocus. And they weren't entering into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So as a result, they don't have Christ as their Savior. And so what you'll find sometimes is this. People will go through death's valley. When we go through death's valley, there's two things about it. It's a valley, and it's dark, and we're covered by a shadow. But in him is life, and that life is the light of men. Jesus is the one casting the shadow to walk through the valley with us. And he's taken us to the light. Yes, my friend, we've got a coming home This. This tremendous as they say, it's out of this world. And it really is. But be careful as a Christian. Luke 8, 14. And that which fell among thorns are they, which when they have heard, go forth and are choked with the cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. Oh, you can be saved, but get so caught up in this life that you do nothing that counts for eternity. And you're saved so as by fire. All of us have things, I believe, from the past. I I, I can remember things, I mean, I I can remember things that happened as a teenager as in my twenties. I can remember things way back. I can remember them like they were yesterday. My problem is I can't remember what happened yesterday, you know. But um, we have things that happened way back there and and we can remember them. And that just tells us that life is short. And it's short because sin is the curse. And as a Christian, just as you chose to receive him, you also choose whether or not you want to serve him. But I know this. The apostle said, I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. You know what? He got a glimpse of what was up there. He says, go ahead and kill me. You know, threaten me with heaven. I'm ready to go. Oh, what a coming home we have if you're saved. But if you're going to give it all for Jesus, you're going to have a coming hurt throughout this life. But he'll always be there for you. But then we have to ask, I want to come too, so coming how? Well, verses 4 through 6, I think, looks at that. He says, whether I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said unto him, Lord, how can we know? We know not with thou goest. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Yes. Jesus Christ is your only way. Now, Tom said, how can we know the way? Jesus has been with him for three and a half years. He went preaching the gospel. Mark 1 says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He preached the gospel everywhere he went. People were being converted. And Mark, and, and, and then all of a sudden he's saying, Lord, how can we know the way? the Lord says, you know the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. He's telling them of the gospel. He's telling them of Calvary. He's telling them of the purpose they should have in their own lives. I remember my first church. I led a man to Christ, but it was, it was a result of a One of our members said, would you go with me? I've got a friend, and i would be trying to lead him to the Lord and just hitting a brick wall would you come with me and talk to him so I did I went there and God just prayed and asked the Lord to save him right there and, and after we, words we was getting ready to leave his house and he said pastor no one has ever explained that to me before well we got in the car to leave and the guy from the church said pastor I have gone through the plan of salvation with him many times that wasn't true what he just said now as a young preacher in my 20's you know, I knew it all. And I didn't say this to the man, but I'm just thinking in my mind, you just don't know how to do it like I do it. <laughs> you just can't. It's just a few months later we were having revival meetings, and there's a man I had been working on. I had shared a plan of salvation. He'd rejected it each time. I took the advantages out. I said, Well, maybe somebody different talking to him. And he went through the same thing. And the dummy said the same thing. Nobody's ever explained it to me before. Now, I wanted to slap the guy around and say, why weren't you listening, you know? But here's the thing. That might have been the first time he really understood in each case. But the seed was planted. That's why we plant seeds. But it's up to the individual to receive it. As many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. You've got to receive it. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life, and no man comes unto the Father but by me. He's the only way. Acts 4, 12, there is none other name given among men under heaven whereby you must be saved. And how are you saved? By the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, we read in Colossians 1.14, in whom we have redemption. That is, we're brought back through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Our sins are forgiven through His blood. Our sins were placed upon Him. Ephesians 1.7 says basically the same thing. In whom we have redemption through His blood. And then He goes on to say, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. God's grace, not our earning it, His grace. Revelation 1.5, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. 1 John 2.2, 2, and he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. He made the entire payment for every sin you ever have or you ever will commit. Let me close out with this, Romans 5.8. But God commendeth his love. He did that because he loves you, as John three sixteen says. God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners just like we are. Don't get good enough for him. You ever wonder, people, some, I've, I've come across people who said, I just don't know how, why God would save me or why he'd want to save me. It's because he loves you. And could God save me? I've really been bad. No, he paid it all. He paid it all. He was a propitiation. So while we were yet sinners, not because we deserved it, not because we could earn his love, no. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's why he said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He'll receive you if you'll come to him. And he'll do that right now if you will. Let's bow our heads please.